Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hi, welcome to LawPod. I'm Professor Aoife O'Donoghue and I work here at Queen's University Belfast. Today I'm going to talk to Dr Maeve Harding, who is the co-director with myself of Doing Feminist Legal Work. So we're going to talk about what Doing Feminist Legal Work is, our hopes for the project for the future and our event that we're holding tomorrow in Queen's on the 19th of May. And also what a fun network it is and how you should join. So uh, just to give a bit more background about myself, my research is in international and constitutional law, but with a strong thread through all of it really on feminism. So I was the co-director of the Northern Slash Ireland Feminist Judgments Project. And uh, as well as doing feminist legal work, I'm also the co-director of the Northern Slash Ireland Feminist Constitutions Project. And I'm Dr. Maeve Harzing, and um, I'm recently returned to UCD um, where I'm the lecturer in family and child law. So my research really revolves around how regulation of family life affects the family, particularly women and children. So it's inherently feminist in nature. And I, I like empirical research. I like going out and finding out how people interact with the law and how the law interacts with them. And I am the co-director of Doing Feminist Legal Work. And I've also worked with Aoife on the Northern Slash Irish Feminist Judgments Project and the um, Alternative Mother and Baby Homes Report. So lots of feminist work going on here. And we should mention our two uh, other co-partners who are both at Birmingham University Law School. That's Professor Fiona DeLondres and Professor Murray Denright, both of whom were very much involved with the repeal campaign um, and abortion reform more generally across the across the whole island. Uh, so that's that's who we are. And we're going to talk a little bit more now about the actual network. Um, so DFLW is what we're calling it, even though that doesn't really sound like it's short when I say it out loud. It's mainly a network of scholars based across Ireland, Northern Ireland and Britain who are interested in uh, issues coming from law and gender as as a perspective. We were very lucky to get some Irish Research Council funding from the new foundation's shared island scheme. And to do this, a project that is north, south and east, west. And all the work that myself and Maeve have been involved with so far, really, to with feminism has always been like that because I don't, it's not, yeah. uh, it, it isn't a huge group of lawyers. So wherever we can find people, basically, and who are interested and enthusiastic. So there, it's always been a sort of groups of feminists working east, west, north, south, uh, helping and mentoring and supporting each other. The network is hoping to... Uh, create kind of a long-term sustainable network, even though we've only funding for the first year to include academics, obviously, um, but including uh, PhD students and PGR students have already been coming to our events and are brilliant, but also artists, activists, practitioners, civil society, uh, anyone who's interested in the way that law and, and feminism and gender all interact. Yeah, we're defining uh, feminist legal work very broadly so we don't want to feel like people are excluded from where their discipline is or if they're an academic or not an academic we're interested in getting the work done and using as many fun and diverse people as possible to do it and of course we're building on like lots of really amazing work that's happened already um, and work in, that we've been involved with but 
it often tends to be ad hoc and you kind of have to start with your mailing list and people you know and try to build the network out from then. So what we're hoping by setting up this network is that when something happens suddenly um, and there needs to be a feminist response or there's a long-term project that needs done that there will already be kind of a group who are together, who are interested, who maybe might not be directly involved, but maybe be able to offer mentorship or practical advice on, on how to do these things. And obviously building an amazing work that's gone before on abortion, on repeal, on women, women's representation and access to politics and law. Um, if you look, at, say, around uh, women's uh, representation or access during the peace process in Northern Ireland or around poverty, um, but also how women's lives are impacted through law and by law and all different kinds of law, not just sort of the usual things that we think of. So we're hoping to kind of build a long-term sustainable group, which kind of sounds a bit uh, corporate. I mean, do, do you want to talk about wh- why we came up with the idea? Because it does, it does, those are, those are a lot of buzzwords you're throwing around there, Aoife. Like, uh, in a sense, we just want a space to do this work. Yeah. And we felt that that space wasn't there or had be, is there for brief periods, but could be stronger and could be a more inclusive space and one that people can rely on when they're trying to do this kind of work and... Were we talking about it at the ILT conference in Cork? Yes, I think so. Well, out for a walk on the banks of the Lee. That's well. So often the best ideas come from Cork is what I've heard from Eva. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I think, yeah. I think it was because we, we were presenting on the rewrite of the Mother and Baby Home report that we'd both been involved in. So that was uh, a project when the uh, report came out in the Republic. And this is an example of a stark difference between a report coming out um, across the island, which two of which are very different. So the report that was published in Northern Ireland, the official report, uh, is a, ver- a very different character. It, tr- it treats the women and the children with a lot of respect and a lot of dignity mm-hmm. and, and listen and heard from them, whereas the one that was published in Dublin um, didn't quite do any of those things. So No, it, it was very disappointing in, in that regard and people had very strong reactions to it. And it was during COVID as well. We were yeah. all kind of locked down and looking at our screens and... And uh, yeah, Aoife Maraid got a... There's about 20, 20, I suppose, in this immediate group. Yeah, got together and tried to tried to do something about it, tried to show how a more appropriate and respectful and uh, sort of a different idea of looking at it could be reached even just on the flawed evidence that had been put forward to uh, to that uh, committee. Because it, w- it was a deeply flawed process. We, we need to acknowledge that when we're, we're talking about the report. But it was, it was, um, it was important to us and it was... I think people found it very worthwhile and, and a way of of, of um, constructively releasing some of the um, frustration that they felt with that report and how that process had gone. It kind of showed the different kinds of knowledge that you needed to do it because we needed people who knew how to do legal history, people who knew law and religion. We had people who knew criminal law, family law like yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you needed a range of expertise. You couldn't do, do it as an individual project or two or three people. Like you needed the 20 people to do it quickly and to do it fast and to do it in a way that could help um, all the amazing activists and academics who've been working on this for years and are a very small contribution to all their work that they've been doing. Because that's kind of an important point about doing the the reactive stuff is that there are people who are beavering away doing this work, you, you know, unacknowledged for years and years and years. And then when, when you do a piece of reactive um, work, it, it's how to include all of that and give give credit to the work that's done before while helping in some way by like adding adding to that or, or amplifying that or adding to those voices. 
And, and it was a nice way. It was a nice way of working together. And people mm. did different things, didn't they? So they, you know, some people worked closely in pairs. Some people worked individually and sent stuff back to the group. It was there was there a lot learned about working collaboratively in what was a very difficult time. I think to do that kind of work it was like January of the longest lockdown in Europe. <laughs> yeah. And we decided to look at mother and baby homes, the most uplifting sort of legal topic that you could look at in the depths of January in a pandemic. But it was important work, and it needed to be yeah. done. And I think you know people felt it was worthwhile and. And I think because it was a difficult topic, it was a good group to be in as well, because it, it is a difficult topic. And mm. there, it was, there was a lot of sensitivities in it that you had to think about really deeply. And we could offer advice and help and support to each other about how to phrase things and think about things and write them in a way that was respectful and uh, was dignified and, and was thought through as much as we thought we could, at least. And of course, we got lots of different historians and activists to read it as well before we published it to, to do that as well, like that big, broader group. I think there was another 20 people who read it after we did our first draft. But coming back to kind of the idea of an inclusive and helpful space, I think having that support was really helpful for people who hadn't worked on that kind of stuff before and maybe weren't ready for the emotional uh, toll that that might have and were worried that they might say something that was inadvertently insensitive and not wanting to do that and wanted to be supportive of uh, survivor groups. And, and the structure meant that people were able to engage with that who otherwise perhaps would have wanted to have done something but not known what to do or not not been able to find a thing to do. Which I think is probably what inspired us, right? Was yeah. that, that there would be kind of a ready-made group that would be there to even if they weren't directly involved, to even just persuade people because it was the same in the feminist judgments, mm -hmm. I think, was persuading people who hadn't done this kind of work before. I kind of think of it like can. a feminist A-team, you know, sort yeah. of like turn it up, solving problems, <laughs> less 80s baggage, we hope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but also I think, you yeah. know, to... to um, like on that, also to just share the frustrations because yeah. that one of the amazing bits about doing the Feminist Judgments Project was when we would have um, people in like, say, Alva Smith, who'd been working on feminist issues for years, or Monica McWilliams, who came to our very first Feminist Judgments Workshop, which is at Ulster University, and just somebody who'd been persevering on these things for years mm. and just... Real long haul. Real long haul and kind of going, wow. And you're still here and you're still enthusiastic and you're still positive and you're still mentoring everybody, even though like, you've had to put up with a lot, yeah, a lot over a long period of time. I mean, there's so many inspiring people involved in this that the network is working with or is getting advice from or the experiences of. And, and they are people who have really put in put in the grind over the years and perhaps in spaces that are not so supportive. So it's trying to build on the work of these excellent people and, and make things easier for people to do this kind of work going forward and also make it less emotionally difficult. When it, when it can't, and some of it is not. I mean, some of it is the crack and eating cake and all that kind of stuff. But there are, there are heavy subjects in, in some, some instances that need to be tackled and it's easier to do that in a space with people who also understand the kind of area and what's going on and how you might feel about it. Yeah, I think that, I think appreciating that different spaces. I've been in Queens for a year and there's, you know, plenty of feminists here in the law school and there's people to talk to. And in my previous institution at Durham, it was similar. We had like amazing people like Claire McGlynn, but not everybody has that sort of support yeah. or space or, you know, there was a module here um, that Yasin Brunger developed with uh, Catherine McNeely on gender and the law in third year that students can take. Um, and that I was lucky enough to teach last year with Sarah Craig, like that they are there 
Um, but not everyone is lucky enough to be in those kind of spaces where you've got a group of people who are interested in feminism or issues around gender you can go have a chat with. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt that very much so coming back to uh, working in Dublin after a long time at Warwick University, where, again, it was a very inclusive feminist space and working with people like Vanessa Monroe or Shaheen Ali. Um, and, and you didn't have to kind of justify feminist work or... Like no one asked any questions. Everybody thought it was inherently valuable and worthwhile. And then to maybe go to a, a university that doesn't... I've got to be very careful about what I say here. Um, well, just just within the university space. So I was doing the... Um, what's that leadership project? The Aurora Leadership Project? Aurora, yeah. Yeah, so you met a lot of academics from different universities and this kind of thing. And I was just struck that there wasn't... Like there was a lot of people doing work on their own and sort of feeling unsupported and floundering a bit and, um, and, and wanting to do this kind of work, but also having to justify this kind of work, which which I also had to do, but it was with mystery to me. Uh, like I went back to when I used to work in a, another university in England where I once had to make a business case for doing family law, which I was like, well, everybody has a family. I'm not really sure what the business, the business case is, that the, the grant is fully funded. Um, you know, so so this this idea of, of I think there is a lot of uh, individual academic work going on in the sense that perhaps those uh, community of scholar networks that we're used to from UK research intensive universities are only developing or, you know, sometimes in, in some of the universities, not really there. So it's to try and, and also the numbers are smaller, right? Like it's a smaller scene. Um, so it's it's to it's to, it's to sort of bring bring that confidence and, um, yeah, fun and support. to Because I mean, like, let's face it, academia can be quite a lonely gig if you're working in a place which may have really strong research strengths, but they're not questions that you particularly could care to pursue. And then you're bringing your stuff in, which maybe it's not really, is new or, you know, people don't really think that that is maybe a question that they care to pursue. And, and then it is nice to be validated in, in your area or to have people who think that those questions are indeed questions that are worth pursuing and are questions that have, are of value. And um, I think that can be a lonely space for people, particularly scholars starting off, like early career researchers, which can be wonderful. Obviously, you can have a wonderful supervisor who really values what you do, helps you, mentors you, all the rest. But let's face it, like a lot of people don't get that. And then it can be, it can be a little bit hard to find your tribe, as Vanessa Vanessa Monroe used to put it. Find your find your research tribe uh, within 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 the big space that is the academy, right? Because um, I'm always really impressed with people who, even from like their PGR years, because like Maeve Work or Sandra Duffy, that even as PhD students were doing amazing work and trailblazing. And even think my own PhD students here at Queen's who are doing amazing things already. Yeah. And sort of you're like, wow, I wish I was that brave <laughs> when I was at your point to be willing to put my head above the parapet and kind of be out and changing things. It's, well, I think it's know. great that we're contributing to an academic culture where people are braver, right? Like, because that is something that is built upon generation by generation. So I think sometimes when you look at that, you kind of go, oh, I wish I had been that brave. And you're like, well, I'm great that we're putting supports in place that people um, in addition to their inherent utter brilliance as academic individuals, are, feel supported to, to put themselves out like that to do bigger projects. And can have the fun. And, and can and have the fun, work. right? Like, yeah. So I do think that was one of the best things about the Feminist Judgments Project was everybody, it was a lovely space to work in. I think we mm. talked about that in the ALT as well, that it wasn't a, none of the workshops were competitive, no, that like people were sharing ideas, there wasn't any one man up ship going on in any of the workshops. That it was, uh, I think we tried to replicate that in our first event in Dublin. That yeah. it was about care and support, and mentoring, and hearing ideas, and sometimes expressing things that maybe people didn't want to hear, but saying them and saying them in a space that you could say it in, and it was okay. But not that kind of jockeying, 
Yeah, I think I think academic, a, feminist you know, judgment out space or just the, what the peacocking that you have to do in ref culture, telling everyone how great your research yeah. is. World uh, leading, world leading, and uh, paradigm shifting. Just paradigms moving all over the place all the time. Um, but I think with that, that was the first drafting workshop I'd actually been to was the feminist judgments project. So maybe we should we should tell the listenership what that that we were actually writing together as a group, which. Um, at that point, it was kind of new to me because uh, usually people kind of come and they talk about their stuff and ask mm-hmm. a few questions to go away. But that, that was just a really nice collaborative project. Um, so in that one, we, we wrote judgments um, from a feminist perspective. So it's a methodology that started in Canada and then was developed in England by um, Claire McLean and Rosemary Hunter and Erica Rackley. And then we imported it and we're... I think still the only project that's done it across the border because we okay. did Ireland and Northern Ireland. There's an international project, but I think we're the first who did it. And uh, so you'd pick a judgment and you'd have a commentator or two commentators and you would rewrite that judgment um, from a feminist perspective. But it has a very specific way of doing it. So you can't make up any laws and you can only use law that existed at the time. You can only use research that was available at the time. So if you're rewriting um say, Inri White, which was the case about the Parades Commission here in Northern Ireland that Catherine O'Rourke did, you had to do it as in the time when that decision was made. Um, but it was because some of the judges who came actually said that they really envied us because we had time yeah. to collectively draft yeah. these judgments, whereas as uh, being a judge can be quite lonely yes, as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. As a, as a practice. I think there were a lot of discussions within that project about what feminism meant in that context. So I think that's something I get asked a lot about the network is, Sometimes people have a very lofty idea of feminist work being sort of being at the cutting edge, edge of feminist legal theory. And of course, our idea of feminism is is much broader than that, right? It's, it's really talking about just different ways of looking at law and legal questions and who we centre in those legal questions. But I mean, that was a big, big debate that we had throughout, throughout that project of people feeling that maybe they weren't feminist enough uh, to be in a feminist judgments project and us having to point out their excellent inherent feminism that was obvious in the things that they did. I think that's why we really want to encourage people to join the network is that you don't have to have done any feminism before or taught any feminism or published any feminist journals or, you know, gone on a march. If if you're interested, you're interested, come along. You can, yeah. you know, there's no commitment to actually doing anything other than coming along and having a cup of tea. And then I think also maybe that you don't have to have finished reading feminism. I have a yeah. wonderful PhD student, Lucy Crompton, who is writing an excellent and brilliant PhD thesis on uh, breadwinner bias in English financial remedies law but she was always like she goes I need to read more feminism before I was like no no, you don't actually have to finish feminism before you arrive because please please get back to writing the rest of your PhD and not doing that Um, but I think sometimes people can feel daunted by the label that there's some kind of secret club that they're meant to know all of these um, kind of you know fancy words and fancy terms and I have read all of the all of the very famous people and not so famous people and read them uh, yeah, all. Yeah, I read them all. All of the, all of the feminism. Um, um, as I, I'm going to quote Star Trek here to be totally nerdy that you know you've only experienced Shakespeare if you've read him in the original Klingon, and I think you can, can, can <laughs> cross that into a lot of people's feelings about different parts of academia that you know you can only do Heidegger if you read him in the original German. Yeah, I mean, I suppose can, that is a, it is something that yeah. comes out quite strongly in other parts of the academy as well that if yeah. you feel like if you if you go into an area with something that you'll be monstered because you haven't read, you haven't done five years of reading that would have come before. Yeah. And and we're very much not like that. No. Like, <laughs> all levels of feminist knowledge are, are welcome. Um, and even people who are not sure about the, the label of feminism, who just want to come and see what, what we're doing and what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, we can... Um, and I... 
Oh, there's always more to read, right? Well, there's always more to read because we're big nerds, Aoife, who took jobs in the academy so that we could just read for the rest of our lives. So I, I suppose... When we're not, Mark. <laughs> when, we're, when we're not creating, which of course we were doing all the time. So um, we've uh, we've had one event. Our very first event was kind of a networking event, which was fun to do because I hate networking exercises, but then I could make other people do them. Yeah, Aoife was, uh, for someone who ostensibly hated traditional networking exercises, really was pushed some of them on us. <laughs> but I suppose, again, it's about feeling welcome within a space. Like, you know, there's nothing worse than you get sent in some kind of leadership training course or, or something like this and you're told you have to walk like a man and talk in a deep voice so that the men will understand you. Um, it was more of an inclusive uh, sort of thing. So people felt comfortable doing the exercises. What did we, we made them like tell us exciting facts about themselves. Selves, yeah, on their name tags yeah. and, and they to some something that they'd read that they thought would be relevant for the group to read. So it could be our film that they'd seen or a poem. And, and we've actually on our website, we've, we've listed some of the things that people suggested. Um, so I suggested a short story by, short story by uh, Ursula K. Le Guin and calls she unnames them. Um, but people had films and Beloved, I think somebody suggested from Toni Morrison and yeah, and, there and then some, some traditional academic stuff as well. Yeah. And, and, and sort of, so then people talked, they were up on big post-its on the wall and then people talked to each other about them, which yeah, was nice. Yeah, it was, it was nice and people moved around and, um, you know, we tried to avoid a situation where people were talking to their mates and heroes that there was, and I think what was quite good is that we had a lot of different um like people from two different periods of time doing things. So we had like the very trendy uh, generation editors who were telling us all sorts of uh, things, sources that we had not perhaps read and and people who had been here, been been doing the feminism for a long time who had more classical sources. And, and it was a great kind of mixing pot of ideas and people and um, a lot of fun. Yep. And people kind of sharing happy stories and sad stories and frustrations and um, things that have gone well or badly and I think but trying to follow that up tomorrow in Queen's in, on May 19th this is the first of our two workshops mm-hmm. so the tomorrow's one is about rapid reactions and sort of sharing experiences of how to how to do them uh, or how to run big feminist projects and probably by big I just mean by number yeah um, so we talked about the rapid reactions and the um, or the repeat, uh, rewrite of the mother and baby home um, but also um things like the uh, Judgments Project. But we've got Julie McCandless and Ruth Fletcher who are both involved in feminist legal publishing. So do mm-hmm. feminist at law and feminist yeah. legal studies. So how do you, if you want to go to that end, the real academic end of, of you know, trying to get more feminist stuff published and getting more spaces for innovative feminist work. But how do you do that? How do you edit a journal in a feminist way? You know, how do you have a feminist editorial board? Which I know they, um, from uh, feminist legal studies really... They really, really think that, about that. Really they have think a whole about that. praxis of... Of feminist thing. practice. Um, but also then we're, we've got um, Laura Callan uh, and um, Keir Fitzpatrick both talking about ideas of care because mm-hmm. of the mother's place so in the home. the upcoming <laughs> referendum of uh, for, for the wording of Article 41 of the Constitution. Constitution so there's currently, um, at, the, at this point in time, but is due to close on Friday, uh, government consultation down south about Article 41. So uh, I think there's, there's three aspects of it. So should we change the idea of the marital family being um, the only constitutionally recognised family form in Ireland. Um, they want to talk about rewording the um, the state valuing um, a woman's place in the home. And there's quite a lot of debate uh, about the gendered aspect of that and also the valuing care aspect of that. And then I think there's another question about um, how, how we would remove gendered um, gender discrimination from Article 41 of the Constitution. So again, this is sort of when we actually, th- th- this consultation was not out when we set the date of the workshop. So this is like ultra rapid, like the, the government consultation is actually 
seemingly going to be done within a shorter period of time than we ran this workshop. So we're after going to have to have a very, very rapid, very, rapid. very, very rapid response to this, it has to be said. Um, so we're having, yeah, we're having a discussion about care and how we might engage constructively with that process. So the idea is that the Irish government have uh, said that they would like to do a referendum on Article 41 in November. And there, um, there's been a number of um, excellent pieces of work about the wording um, that a new Article 41 would take. Uh, we had a citizens' assembly. Uh, there, 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 there has been a couple of government reports about it. Now they're going to consultation. So it's about feeding constructively into that process, even though perhaps you don't choose the parameters of that process. So you, you, you might, in your feminist work or the legal work that you do, have approached the problem differently. How do you then in- bring your work into that in a constructive way that uh, you know helps bring? Uh, issues of fairness to the fore and gender issues to the fore. And I think somebody like Ruth Fletcher would be well able to talk about that having been involved with repeal and campaigning mm. for a change that you don't what you would have done differently. You would have picked different words, you would yeah. have structured it differently, but you still think it's worth engaging. Um, and with that we've got Keir Fitzpatrick uh, who's based at UU and um, anyone's based in Northern Ireland know there's been huge stringent cuts brought in mm. uh, to Northern Ireland which have really impacted um, on things like education, um, uh, early early childhood provision, but a lot of them will in fact impact women more as it's like a lot of the cuts yeah. are gendered uh, and will work out as gendered. And Kira has been working a lot on that, and it's around issues of care as well. So it's a sort of a similar question around care that's happening at the same time. I think uh, in both jurisdictions, coming from diff- a different basis, one yeah. constitutional and one based around budget cuts coming from London, but having a gendered impact nonetheless because it's in the home and the family that those budget cuts will impact. And, and sort of really interesting conversations about what, what law does in different arenas because constitutional referendums are about big aspirational statements whereas budgetary cuts and things are, are more pragmatic, smaller things that perhaps you could have more influence over in particular times and, and, and hit people more directly. Um, but I think that's another aspect of the network that we probably should really emphasise is the pragmatism that we want associated. Like we, we call it doing legal work rather than writing, you know, uh, obscure legal articles, although that is also welcome. Um, but just the pragmatism of it, of trying to try to contribute to like to, to these issues on this island in, in a way that brings women's voices to the fore and contributes to society. So these are constructive responses that we are trying to build um, just to help us have better law, better legal responses to these things. And after we do that one, we have another workshop. Uh, And that one's actually going to be about teaching, uh, which I'm actually quite excited about, um, mainly because I want to see what everybody else does and then copy them. Uh, (laughs) That's brilliant. uh, I actually just got my student feedback this week and I had to close a feedback loop. So, um, so yeah, so it was really interesting to to hear what the students had thought of a, a more critical gendered approach to teaching family law. And they generally loved it, I have to say. Yeah, one of them said I was a stone cold genius. So I'm now putting that oh. on my um, on my CV for, for all time. Because yeah, there's because um, I think we both have experience of like teaching courses that are specifically, and then also then trying to bring them into other courses. Like, yeah, I, I would have to say that like family law is a great Trojan horse to bring in kind of uh, feminist issues into uh, into maybe a curriculum that hasn't hasn't been, had a big focus on gender mm-hmm. studies because you can always because it is so inherently obviously about regulating the structures in which women and children live that it's very difficult not to do it from some kind of feminist perspective. Um, and then I'd say it's still possible though. 
it, well, it has been done. Uh, let, let I refer you to the traditional husband and wife law that continued for the last 100 years. But uh, yeah, no, it ha- and it was obviously designed by people who perhaps didn't think that way back in the day. But uh, but it is one that students can can engage very, because um, everybody has a family, you know, nobody's born in a bubble. So people have either a, a kind of reasonably uh, orthodox family life or they, they don't. They come from a very different place. And, and in, all, in all senses, people very much engage in aspects to do with the family and have strong feelings about it. So it's a that's a kind of exciting module to to bring these ideas into in a way that people uh, can engage with very easily, but don't feel like they're lofty ideas because sometimes they come in and... Um, uh, jurisprudence, and I always feel like that can be slightly more removed mm-hmm. yeah. the way that they are introduced to students in in that kind of scenario. But the teaching, the teaching and pedagogy workshop is really exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. Because I know Marie Denneray, our project partner, she does contract through feminism. Which, yeah, uh, and I'm teaching contract here in Queen, so I'm really looking forward to seeing how she does that. Because again, it's not an obvious one, but actually, yeah. when you talk about things like freedom of contract and autonomy and the original person or the person on the Clapham bus or any of the other sort of like classic tropes from contract law, all of them actually can be critiqued from a feminist perspective and have been critiqued from a feminist perspective. So I think there's, you know, it's not just the very obvious topics that you can teach through feminists. Through yeah, and I think just, just this idea that, you know, this decolonizing the critic gloom idea that, that law is was designed by a very kind of niche group of powerful, rich people um, and has these racial and gendered issues that need to be addressed. And one way to do that is is true feminism. There are other ways to do that. But thinking about the, the default person in law and who law centers and who law ignores, I think they're really important questions to bring into any any topic that you might be teaching. I mean, do, you know, we bring it into first year modules as well. Um, and yeah, pretty much any, any topic, I think. Um, and then after that, we have a final networking event where I will force people to do other networking games, um, the ones I didn't pick the last time. <laughs> yes, and we're also going to come up with the, the feature of the network. Hopefully when we have a, because we're getting all the building blocks in place, we have our exciting uh, new website. We have dflw.ie dflw.ie um, hashtag love Irish research I think is the IRC um, motto that we need to put with it um, and yeah so it, it's it's really it's sort of building the network but then also thinking with that second networking event where it could go like what people want from it and how it could grow and how we could fund it and how well. we could fund it if yeah, which thing, is like an important it. issue um, yeah because I think uh, our hope is that it, the sort of the future of the network will be decided by the people in the network Mm. Uh, rather than us, which would be in a very unfeminist way, uh, dictating where it should go <laughs> in the future. Um, and that, you know, what kind of events that people would like to have, um, what kind of support that people would like to have, what, you know, if they want online events and in-person events or no events at all, or like what kind of, because we've got space on the website for advertising events and we have mailing lists and things like yeah, that. Yeah, and but about how, how we can do things. How best we can put people in, in, in touch with people fairly, you know, like, because some people do know lots of people already and some people come in to to these kinds of issues from different ways in which they don't feel like they, they know a lot of people and, and they feel, you know, it's just, it's just about getting all of that together and we sort of have, we have aspirations for feminist work in terms of improving the laws on this island but we've also got aspirations for improving structures for doing like there's two aspects to the network it's the substantive output and then also the these um supportive structures that we're putting in place because you had a big list of them didn't you? you had kind of mentoring and mm-hmm. um i read the list i did there was mentoring there was uh what were the other things it was like coaching and coaching. peer support um even things like reading like proofreading things or being peer reviewing things yeah. in a friendly way like offering actual 
substantive peer review as opposed to peer review. Because I would think that just says you're yeah. useless and this is the worst thing I've ever read, which often is peer review. I don't think I've ever said that to anyone, but I have received that kind of feedback. But I remember Catherine O'Rourke was saying that one of the ironies of working in academia is that the further along you go, the more help you get. <laughs> yes, so it's trying yeah. to like push that further down the ladder so that people have access to someone to read their work earlier on in their careers when it might be more helpful before yeah. you get stuck in your ways and refuse to remove an Oxford comma from a sentence or whatever it is that you are going to, whatever hell it is that you're going to die on grammatically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyone, I suppose it's also an open call for people to get in touch. Um, yes. Because we'd really like, as I say, you, you know, there's no necessity to have done any feminist teaching or any feminist research before. All career stages, including postgraduate students, are really, really welcome and are already there. Practitioners, activists, artists. We, um, uh, Julie Morrissey, who's an amazing poet, um, gave a presentation actually at the Dublin workshop, or the yeah, Dublin yeah. Uh, networking event, and was amazing. And, and I've now used, check that, out her work. used her work in in my teaching. So like all aspects of the the, the workshops are now going together. So. And I think uh, artists have been really important in getting legal reform done mm. um, in the island, and I think that's. They have a, an amazing artistic legal work, which is something I didn't think was a, like a thing until I realised actually now. there's a huge amount of people who do incredible work yeah. and probably understand law in a way that I don't understand. Or which can, is can talk to us about the bizarreness of law, right? Because yeah. if you don't have a law degree, you're like, what are they talking about, guys? And you're like, yes, it is very strange. So all are, all are really, really welcome. Um the, um, and across disciplines, also, you don't have to have a law degree at all. No. At all. Um, we, had, we had historians and sociologists at the last event and stuff. And you can be in physics if you'd like to come along. Anything, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, any any definitions of feminist and legal and work are all. Oh, oh, yeah. oh it's the doing oh, well. that counts. That you're that Actually. you're there and and getting involved and. So we we have a uh, an email address which is uh, dfeministlw at gmail.com which isn't the most helpful <laughs> when I call it out loud. Defeminist, that's very hard with a double accent. <laughs> I don't know if we can do that. Um, but you could also email either of us at our institutional account and we'll add you to email Yeah, list. yeah. So it's just, um, find us in our, our work Just to warn you, if you've signed up to Eventbrite for the event, you, you do need to email us separately to put you on the mailing list because they're not connected for GDPR purposes. Yeah, and we're very clear on the GDPR yes, rules. we're very good. Um, and or our website, which is dflw.ie, or and we're both on Twitter as well. Um, I'm on Mastodon. Are you on Mastodon? I'm not on Mastodon. No, I'm cool, and I'm on Mastodon. Uh, you cool. I haven't. I, I have enough networks going on. We should really go on Instagram. I hear that's where people going now. The Twitter has taken over. I don't know. God, you'll want a TikTok account next. I will do a dance for a Tiki Tok, as us old folks were calling them the other day. Um, but you were, please do get in contact uh, through social media or through our work accounts or through the website. Yeah. Contact information will also be in our show notes. And um, yeah, come and have fun and do funnest work. And the catering is usually good at these events. Okay. Mm-hmm.